Hello, everyone. Welcome to QMinder's Service Intelligence Podcast. Today, we have an exciting guest, Fred Kerke. Fred is uh, the former VP of support at Bolt. Bolt is one of the fastest growing uh, technology companies out there. And Fred has had a very, quite a long uh, journey in the support world. So it's, we're going to learn a lot about, uh, about his journey and, and his philosophy in support. Hello, Fred. Hello. Hello, everyone. And uh, thanks for having me. So how it usually goes, Fred, I would like to start with your journey in the world of support, because uh, doing some research before this, and when I talk to you, you have built your entire career, which is quite long for a young young person in the support world. How how did you end up or or start from support? Oh, it's a funny story, actually. Um, so I think the year was two thousand and seven. Uh, maybe late 2006, I was uh, working in a factory and, and building bus stops uh, and then also installing them in the city of Tallinn. Uh, and then, <clears throat> unfortunately, I wasn't wise enough to wear any uh, glasses uh, or protective wear. So I managed to get some, some uh, piece of metal in my eye, uh, which then resulted in me concluding that uh, maybe I should choose something different uh, as, a, as a career. So I ended up working in a, in a call center in Tallinn. Uh, back then, it was called Arvato. Now they operate under the name of, uh, of Majorel. Uh, and I was, um, I, I then um, you know, supported uh, Xbox uh, gaming consoles um, for a while and then uh, managed to kind of start my, uh, or kickstart my, uh, my support career from there. So since, since 2007 then? It was the 5th of February, 2007. So in the in next February it would be fifteen years. Now it's it's been fourteen and a half. Fourteen and a half years in, in support. So you started off at uh, Arvato, then doing phone support. Yes, absolutely. It was doing phone support uh, to UK. Uh, UK Xbox customers and some I think were from South Africa as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I then quite quite fast. Uh, climbed or jumped uh, into another role, which was just dealing with the escalations. Back then, mm-hmm. there was the infamous uh, uh, ring of death on the Xboxes, and then they were dying because of power supply units and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I was dealing with, with, with escalations for a while. And then after that, three and a half years um, as, a, as a team lead for that team. Um, and, and then after four years of working in the in the wonderful world of Xbox and, and, and call centers, I then uh, decided to um, leave. Uh, did something completely different for nine months. Uh, it was sales related. Uh, I then learned that I will never ever want to work in sales again. Uh, it was okay. I could do it, but I just didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And then I, I managed to, um, to somehow find my way back to the world of Xbox, but this time not on the call center side, but, uh, but actually land a role in, in UK. So I, I, with just three weeks' notice, uh, packed my stuff, um, got a plane tickets, and then uh, then landed at Microsoft in the UK, dealing with the third tier of escalations, which was the uh, the crazy global stuff. So if, if you know some some parents uh, have, have found out that they had um, 
apparently uh, some credit card bills because their their kids had been spending money uh, online uh, for FIFA games uh, just to get some extra yeah, in-game content. Some bills uh, stacked up to twenty thousand pounds, and and you know stuff like that. Some crazy fraud uh, investigations, uh, some weird uh, lost consoles, and etc. At times, maybe even even truckloads stolen. And, you know, things like that. I then progressed uh, from that role, um, I think, teaching or training a new tier three agents straight from streets, people who had never, ever worked in Xbox uh, support. And then, then uh, pretty much telling them how to, how to solve crazy cases like that. Uh, and after a while, I, I then found myself in um, uh, changing teams in UK. Um, but do you have any questions about... Uh, about my no, it's, it's, so, it's, far. It's, so so it's tier three or tier three or how to say so yeah. so these were not your usual my console is not starting <laughs> things as, as you mentioned <clears throat> like very serious cases uh, so how 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 often do these things actually happen because maybe me living in my small uh, a small bond here it seems like like yeah sure it might happen like once or twice a year but how often at microsoft scale like these serious things happen for support i i can't even imagine how much does it happen nowadays um i, I guess the tech is better uh, but back in the day um we were supporting customers globally in any language and any market so you can imagine that even if you have um tens of millions of, of users uh, for a service things go wrong and then when you know the usual support doesn't help uh, or they can't figure it out then this the tier two support doesn't uh, uh, or is not able to to figure it out then that's when the global escalations team would you know come in and at times of course it wasn't just these crazy weird uh, or crazy cases uh, but it was also some weird stuff that had never happened before and so it's kind of investigative and we had to then cooperate with the team who who actually fed into the whole ecosystem of, of this product design and and, and uh, service design. So we're constantly giving feedback to those teams uh, to make um, the whole experience better. So the level three support people were actually, as you said, like investigators. Yeah. You, have a, you have a new case coming in and then you would you would jump on it as, as investigators. Absolutely. Uh, and then, you know, at times you would get some uh, weird cases. I even got one from Estonia. I'm not going to name the company, but mm-hmm. but they wanted to service, I think, 20 of their consoles in one go. So I was like, okay. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I arranged a pickup for that, like mm-hmm. doing some some ad hoc uh, out-of-the-box cases as well. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, now, I don't know, year 2012 or something? You're in UK? Yeah, something like that. Um, and then uh, you said you, you switched to now training these, these people. It, it was kind of like w- within that role scope. So during daytime, I was, I was uh, training these people. And then I, um, I guess my lifestyle wasn't too healthy um, because, you know, there were like massive backlogs. We had to onboard a lot of people, train them during the day. Mm-hmm. And then the after hours, I, I continued working on the actual cases uh, and then, you know, chewing through the backlog. Mm-hmm. Uh, together with uh, with some some folks in the US, so my days were exceptionally long, um, but it paid off. Mm-hmm. And but that wasn't the the kind of the, the the end of your Microsoft 
journey. Uh, you also spent some time in the U.S. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I did. So, so fast forward, I, I then jumped or entered into another role. Uh, it was a newly created one. Uh, it was the business. Oh man, the, the role name was exceptionally long. Uh, it was the uh, critical situation manager for the international Xbox support. <laughs> So someone just made that up. But uh, but anyway, what I was doing technically, I had six months to build a business continuity plan um, together with my counterpart uh, in the States. And, and uh, I think we had 15 call centers uh, between us uh, to kind of like figure out the critical situations for. So anything from telco outages in the call centers, um, IT outages, the service outages of the Xbox uh, service itself, you can imagine uh, if, if Xbox Live would go down, you would have you know thousands, tens of thousands, if not even hundreds of thousands, of people uh, of people just wanting to understand what the hell's going on. They will look for help, and then some would even call up and express their feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, so I, I, I built the business continuity plan. Um, aside from the stuff that I just mentioned, it also took care of like natural disasters. I don't know uh, tsunami threats in Japan. Um, some some other other problems. Uh, mm-hmm. that will cause, um, or natural disasters that would cause call centers uh, going offline. And mm-hmm. I've had such calls in the middle of the night as well. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we're going to be hit, uh, we're going to be offline, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. So uh, so part of my job was to to kind of maybe manage or lead those uh, escalations and, and those, those uh, critical situations until they were uh, fixed. And then, you know, just trying to figure out how, how can I make it so that the least amount of calls would come in into support. Because mm-hmm. naturally, every call would have a price. So mm-hmm. if someone decides to call support, um, then you know it's going to cost money to Microsoft because, uh, or actually any company, if you outsource your support. Mm-hmm. So my goal was to to make it so that the least amount of people would call in. Mm-hmm. That's what I was doing. Yeah. Maybe a bit of random, random takeaway, but when you talk about like call centers uh, and compared to technology companies nowadays everything is moving online and I would expect 80% or even 90 something percent to be like email based or chat based Mm -hmm. and and you don't even have an option to call somewhere so there are probably some very very angry people uh, as well and, and and compared to like email, the emotion doesn't come through as much as as talking to people. Is is there some kind of training that agents get as well to be able to kind of handle the the occasional screaming customer? Oh, absolutely! Like disarming angry customers is uh, is a science uh, on its own. I mean, <clears throat> there's um, I think building rapport and then making sure that the people understand that you know you understand that they have a problem and they're, they're pissed off. Sometimes they just want to be heard and, and, and you know, you have to let them vent. But of course, there is a, there is very specific training, uh, usually uh, in support organizations to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And I'm absolutely sure that there's there's organizations where, where there is no such training. I've, mm-hmm. I've used services uh, myself and, and had to call support as well. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a saying that the smile goes uh, through the phone as well. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if you're actually smiling and the customer can most likely hear that, uh, the customer can also hear 
uh, when your feet are on the table, when you're talking to them and you don't really give uh, rat's ass about their problem. You can sense it. Like it's this, I, I can understand that the person doesn't care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's something, something, um, something unexplainable. Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, of course, uh, there's training uh, to, it's possible to train people to handle those calls really, really well. Mm -hmm. But also, like in the hiring process, then you kind of screen for these things or, or, or you're looking for this kind of attributes in a person. So you, so you know that they will like be and feel sincere uh, when they're on the phone with a customer. Sure, of course. Um, you know, it's uh, it's very important to determine how teachable someone is, um, or, or how easy uh, would it be to teach or give some skills to people. Generally mm -hmm. speaking, I I'm of an opinion that you can teach pretty much anything to anyone, mm -hmm. um, but it, I think the effort is is just the question. Um, and um, I'm generalizing a lot. I shouldn't do that. But uh, typically, I think the, the personality traits is something that you can't change uh, that easily. But skills you can always give. Mm -hmm. So teachability is also kind of a, I don't know how, would you say it's a personality trait or a skill? So it's, it's somewhere, somewhere, somewhere in the middle there. Mm. I guess the capacity of the person also, uh, like their ability to do that specific job matters mm -hmm. uh, because not every, every job is for everyone. Yeah. So it's def definitely, let's come back to it uh, because I, I was so curious about the phone support part. Um, and then you were handling the, or making plans. So what happens if a tsunami hits and, and, what what would happen then for the call centers and how how this would be um, dealt with? But eventually, you came back to this <laughs> small place we call Estonia here. It was it was weird because I was actually in that critic role, and um, Nick Smith, my my manager at the time, um, just asked me like, "Hey, so when when are you going to move back to Estonia?" I'm like what are you talking about? I have a job here and I, I'm not going to like go away because I really like what I do. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like, no, I mean, you could do that from anywhere because you have call centers in Asia, you've got stuff in Europe and you've got stuff in, in the States uh, or, or Latin. Um, and then he asked me again, so when are you going to leave? And then I thought for a second and said, in a month. <laughs> he said, he replied, good man, just let me know where I need to sign and just left mm -hmm. the, the meeting. I was like, okay <laughs> that's interesting so uh, packed my stuff and and had to because at the time i was uh, i was employed through an agency at microsoft mm -hmm. um i had to find myself an agency in estonia who would uh, then uh, take the the contract over which mm -hmm. was a weird experience like i think they don't necessarily get a lot of customers uh, that agency coming in and saying hey um so here's a contract for you <laughs> but it, it was fine that's another story from the time um, and then, um, yeah, so I was then asked to step in um, managing uh, or looking after a couple of call centers uh, from Microsoft side because the performance was down. Uh, the person who was supposed to be taking care of them was uh, was away um, in, in that same team where I was. I was the only critic manager, rest of them were service delivery managers uh, looking after call centers and, uh, and managing them from Microsoft side and sending expectations and et cetera. So, Sure, I, I of course I want to do that. Uh, I, I accepted that temporary offer. Mm -hmm. Then um, 
together with the really hardworking people in that call center uh, or those call centers, uh, we managed to get the results really, really good. Uh, and then someone noticed it uh, from the uh, central team in the in the states, and then um, asked if I was uh, I was keen on on helping them launch a couple of uh, or at least a call center in the states in Colorado. So uh, so you know they would be prepared for launching Xbox One because uh, 360 was. Uh, getting old now mm-hmm. i joined pretty much after 360 was launched i think a year after and um and now it was time for for xbox one launch and then we we, we got a call center up and running together with another service delivery manager and uh and yeah then i, I returned to my uh crisis role mm-hmm. for a month or two and then uh, i was i was invited to um to apply for the the service delivery manager gig uh, for good Mm-hmm. And then uh, that's exactly what I did uh, for for a year or two. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually got those call centers uh, uh, to my own uh, portfolio, and it was uh, it was quite a trip. And then I was no longer like a contractor. I was I became a full time employee of Microsoft. Mm-hmm. So that that meant that you were uh, you're still working from Estonia then, or or that yeah. meant yeah. No, I, I was still working from Estonia. Um, I was working from the Estonian Microsoft office. Uh, absolutely amazing people there. Mm-hmm. At the time, the the headcount wasn't too large um, in in the Microsoft office, Microsoft office in, in Tallinn. But but then I was also invited to use uh, the facilities of Skype, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which was absolutely amazing because you know you have uh, a lot of people there uh, mm-hmm. and and the atmosphere was great. So so I. I think every week I, I tried to be at the Microsoft office, then Skype office, and then also um, I was given some space at one of the call centers. So the same call center that I, I started my career from, mm-hmm. uh, which was out of Art Hoteling, mm-hmm. I, I then got that call center in my portfolio as a service delivery manager for Microsoft side. So mm-hmm. I had uh, I already knew the center, I knew most of the people, so it was it was easy for me to interact and, and work with them. Mm-hmm. Definitely cool to see how how you started from uh, Arvata and then how in a number of <laughs> like places in your career it, you've you've gone kind of back to that or it has come back to you again. It was really strange. Like uh, I think almost all of my jobs that I've ever done, mm-hmm. like for those who, who know Tallinn, mm-hmm. uh, they're. They're just like there's this one, I think maybe two kilometer um, uh, long part of the road, which mm-hmm. is Paranomanta, mm-hmm. uh, and and from the city center towards um, towards the bridge where the Arvats office is based at, mm-hmm. or major office these days. Uh, I've always worked on that one street, like mm-hmm. except the time in UK, mm-hmm. which is really weird. So most of my jobs are like in, in one area of telling. Mm-hmm. Bizarre. That's a little bit bizarre, absolutely. Um, now you were working from the Estonian Microsoft uh, office, but at one point, <laughs> I don't know what the year is. I'm already lost. <laughs> like somewhere, it's like 2014, 15, maybe yeah. something. So then things changed, and and you um, changed your. Microsoft job to to go from like one of the biggest technology companies in the world to start working with like smaller players. 
in the sexy startup world. Oh yeah, that, that yeah. was a, that's also a weird story. So uh, because most of my teammates were a bit older than me in in, in the Microsoft team, maybe 10, 15 years older at least, uh, some even more. Um, I, I, w- I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, compared to them, and, and maybe still am. I don't know. I've never grown up. So uh, then Microsoft decided to buy Nokia uh, together with its 22,000 employees, approximate or something like that. And mm-hmm. then Microsoft had to arrange some layoffs. And I got hit by the third wave uh, because I think every team was given a quota like, hey, you have to lose one person, and mm-hmm. that's it. Um, and then I was uh, the least tenured. So um, the manager at the time, Nick Smith, who I mentioned before as well, he he then uh, you know decided that I I would be the person, and I'm never I've never hold uh, held, held that against him. I think that mm-hmm. was the right decision. I would have done exactly the same if I was him. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and yeah, so I uh, I then found myself at the job markets and figured I want to do something different. So I, I decided to send my CV at some point. Uh, for an ops specialist role, someone uh, who deals with uh, money transfers, mm-hmm. used them manually. At least that was my understanding at the time. Uh, in a company called uh, TransferWise, they've now changed their name. They're called Wise. Uh, and then, uh, then I waited, I waited for a while, and then eventually got a, a call in, and then they, they told me that they're not going to give me that role, and they had looked at my CV and couldn't understand why would I apply for that role. Because mm-hmm. if I had like skills in other areas, I then um, went through a number of, of interviews. Um, I think it was fifth or sixth interview was uh, with uh, one of the founders, and 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 I after that interview, which was two hours long, I asked like, "Hey, so what role am I applying for?" And then obviously he laughed and said, uh, "Why don't you ask?" The person who you're going to be maybe reporting to us, like, okay, oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. So they didn't tell me, mm-hmm. uh, and then um, then eventually I spoke to Yorma, like, uh, who who was the head of uh, CS, and, and then he offered me to to lead the talent team, mm-hmm. and then uh, that scaled it up from uh, from a hundred to to whatever needed, and and I think ended up growing that team to about two hundred, so doubling up in in some time. So you were not able to escape the support world oh no uh no no i absolutely wasn't but it was it was good because i had never really led that large teams uh, myself so mm-hmm. it was definitely great learning experience made tons mm-hmm. of mistakes a lot of leading mistakes mm-hmm. uh, many many mistakes and uh, and um, and yeah uh, i think i will carry these learnings uh, with me forever so you, so you had the the awesome chance of working for TransferWise and then get like, a, as you said, like a very good educational experience, which in some sense prepared you for the next step, which... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I, I left uh, WISE and then uh, um, <clears throat> I was, for a while I was off. I was taking a, a well-deserved vacation and and, uh, and some rest. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, and then I applied to this uh, little tiny company at the time. Uh, it was called Taxify, and I, I didn't really know much about it. Thought it's a it's a, it's a taxi company, really, uh, or a ride-hailing company. Um, and then I, I did some homework for those guys, 
but that was for a support role. That was that was on purpose for a support role. Yes, yeah. Yeah. it was a customer support manager role that was mm-hmm. advertised at least. Mm-hmm. I did some homework uh, in my own head. Totally nailed it. I was really happy about it, and then I got a rejection letter. It's like okay. <laughs> <laughs> so much for that All right i must have then done really horrible it's like okay whatever yeah. I'll, I'll just then look for somebody well, else and, and yeah. try to figure out uh, you know what i'm going to do with my life and then a couple of months later i think two months passed and then uh, the the head of recruitment uh calls me up or writes an email i don't remember anymore it's like hey so um we found your cv in the stack and uh, i think i think we should talk <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. okay that's weird uh, and then um, I, I went in uh, for a chat, talked to the guy for a while, and he told me that two other guys want to talk to me. I spoke to those guys, didn't know who they are, mm-hmm. uh, and then um, went home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I, I realized that I had been talking to Pavel Grakel, who's the VP of growth these days, and, and the other person was Marcus, uh, who was the founder and, and CEO of of uh, said company mm-hmm. and and then i had another chat with those two guys they were explaining the difficulties that they had with the team mm-hmm. and um and i uh, offered offered some um, some bold advice mm-hmm. and i guess they liked uh, the way i was approaching things and then a couple of days later was my first uh, day at uh, taxify and you mentioned that this was a Friday. <laughs> it, it was a Friday, yeah. Like, uh, hey, you know, uh, can't lose time. Got to be efficient. So uh, yeah. start right away. And then, yeah, I, I managed to get myself a laptop. Um, I also had a team of uh, 15 to 20 people, but they were scattered pretty much across the world. Like, mm-hmm. literally, the biggest team was in, in South Africa. It was 10, I think. Mm-hmm. Was 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was backlogs. Um, the ticket response time was more than a thousand hours. It was two and a half months. And, uh, and there was a massive backlog, way too large for a team uh, of that size. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, it, it wasn't anything that anyone had done wrong. Uh, it's just the company was, was picking up really fast. They had uh, already been hyper-growing uh, for a while. Mm-hmm. Hypergrowth is when your company grows. Uh, I don't know. I call hypergrowth when your company grows twenty to thirty percent a month. Mm-hmm. So you can mm-hmm. imagine uh, what's going on. Uh, mm-hmm. The crazy. So I, I, uh, I was like, okay, somehow I have to get out of this situation. And then I, I, I spent uh, a lot of time in the office, often staying uh, very, very late. Again, self-destructive habits don't recommend. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, was drawing on the walls and and trying to figure out plans how to do this and then it's one morning i go go to my uh ceo and and explain that hey we we need to grow the team a bit okay sorry now how much do you need to hire it's like i need like 200 people by the end of the year uh, but you had 25 at that time yeah 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 so grow the team like tenfold and there's like no way man what the hell show me the math Showed him, it's like, okay, <laughs> we need the new office then. Mm-hmm. So, all right, let's get going. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, you know, fast forward seven months later, I, I had those people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was I don't know, 5,000 CVs, 600 interviews, uh, constant hiring mm-hmm. by myself. And, and of course, by that time, already had uh, a couple of amazing team leads as well. Uh, who were also doing the job and, and, and trying to figure out how to, how to do all of this. 
now to hire people. Um, most of the hires were done, maybe half of the hires were done like with one interview. Uh, and then in the later stage, it was just two interviews. Mm-hmm. I would do a half an hour chat afterwards. And, and then, uh, but I would, I would talk to everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then maybe even at, at the final stages, then um, I, I didn't necessarily even have to uh, have to interview anymore myself. Mm-hmm. Because then, then you had the, the team in place that, that could... Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was one of the biggest problems that I had to kind of, or sorry, not I had to, but we had to figure out mm-hmm. um, how do we um, how do we grow the team really, really fast without losing the quality or lowering the quality of the talent, mm-hmm. uh, not making the same hiring mistakes that I had been making in the mm-hmm. past or was making in the process of building that uh, mm-hmm. same team. Mm-hmm. It made mistakes there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, just constantly learning, and I think that sharing of those learnings uh, with the team who was doing the interviews and etc., and constant feedbacking and, and and having conversations about uh, different candidates, I think that that helped us uh, move really really fast. Um, yeah, and and by that time, of course, we were already supporting I don't know 15 languages, maybe maybe more, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 the solid 25 to 30 markets. And we were still growing 20 to 30 percent every month. But in that sense, you have a very special experience. There hasn't been, you know, out of all the companies founded, like a fraction of a percentage experience that kind of growth mm-hmm. and, and, and need to hire people that fast, need to train people that fast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like probably people that had been working there for i don't know only three months then felt like like old timers already um but you said that the challenge was growing fast growing the team fast without giving up on the um, quality mm-hmm. like how how do you do that it seems like a impossible task to tackle because you need you need to, in some sense, you have so many tickets coming in, you need them resolved. You need manpower oh, yeah. to resolve the, the, the issues. Like, how do you balance that? Or how do you do it? So at the same time, we always started uh, beating back quite heavily <clears throat> or building data or trying to get some data at least, giving feedback on why do we even have problems or why customers have problems or drivers have problems mm-hmm. uh, at the time. And, and uh, we were giving that feedback to the product teams or mm-hmm. product team at the time and, uh, and developers and, and whoever would govern those processes. Mm-hmm. And of course, everyone um, helped. Um, we even had moments when, where everyone did tickets um, it was it was really cool. Everyone got that experience, even outside of the, the support team. Um, but the balancing act, I, it wasn't easy, um, and it was just a lot of hard work, really, like a lot of late hours. And I knew that, you know, if, if I would join the startup company, then the first first months, maybe even half year, are going to be exceptionally tough in terms mm-hmm. of um, the time I have to spend in the office and, and, and trying to figure out. Of course, I made some mistakes as well. And then, you know, thinking that I have to carry everything and, and uh, that wasn't the case. My team very soon and very fast told me that, dude, <laughs> relax. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they also wanted to, uh, you know, give their share. So, um, so it was a team effort. Um, when hiring, wasn't hiring for experience at all. 
mm-hmm. when we talk about support hiring, um, just hiring um, people, and 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 uh, and they had to have three uh, very specific. Um, I wouldn't say sets of skills, maybe personality traits with three traits. Mm-hmm. Call it universal truth uh, for hiring. Um, so first, I wanted to understand their motivations. Why is it that, or why do they want to even do this job? Is mm-hmm. it just an entry point to the company or did they really want to help people? Mm-hmm. Um, so the motivation was very important. Um, then uh, it was the... Um, I would say intelligence or maybe understanding or mm, the capacity. Yeah. So I wanted to get highly motivated people who are smart and who know what integrity means. Mm-hmm. Three things. And um, this is not just universal to, um, to support roles. It's universal to most of the roles out there. Mm-hmm. Of course, some roles require some experience or skills, very specific skills. But first of all, uh, if anyone is ever hiring anyone, you should look at those three things. Um, what what if is the person is the person smart or smart enough to do the, that specific role? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and how do they treat people around them? Mm-hmm. They know what integrity means. Do they are they are they good people? Mm-hmm. Um, and then. You, you look at skills if, if needed. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, um, helped build a pretty, pretty damn good team that you could, uh, you could then build on and, and, and help those people uh, get those uh, extra, uh, extra experiences and, and then um, you know, skyrocket through their career. Like mm-hmm. the, those people that we... So we build a large organization. From pretty much ground up to, at some point uh, in the later years, the in-house team was above 700. Um, and most of those teams and most of those leadership roles, uh, team leads, senior leaders, um, some regional leaders, um, and then some very senior senior roles, um, those people started as, as support agents um, within the last four years at Bolt. So uh, what we would do is we would we would heavily focus on on uh, on helping the the people that we have uh, we had at the time uh, and then climb uh, their career ladders get new experiences encourage them to make mistakes and learn from them and and yeah so we figured out a way to uh, to boost their uh, skills and experience in in a very systematic way mm-hmm. um, yeah we can talk about that later as well. Yeah, yeah, I have I have a dilemma because I wanted to uh, just before we dive into the personal development, which is super exciting. You mentioned building the feedback loop uh, from support to product teams, uh, which is of course so important because support work is not just you know solving tickets. They are the ones that actually speak to the customer or 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 are in constant uh, exchange of information so what would be your tips for for other companies how to make the loop as good as possible um build relationships with other parts of the company like mm-hmm. often what happens in startup companies is is that you know teams get siloed 
and that's that's fine, I guess. But um, but you would need to make sure that those silos communicate with each other. Um, so so you wouldn't just have a support team that exists and, and then tries to fight the incoming volumes and then just you know in silence and 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 then hopes uh, that uh, things will get better in the future. No, no, we we purposely built those bridges um, to the process owners uh, and by process owners and by processes I mean. I mean the the processes that uh, that the users of the company would get um, uh, would get exposed to. So um, you know, th there's different ways that you can, you can set up your business, and technically, what the customer has to do um, to get the service. And um, so we were we were purposely building those relationships with those parties, but also uh, with the product teams to make sure that those uh, interactions also happen. Um, mm -hmm. Sure, product teams are independently researching um, almost always and constantly, you know, looking out for, for ways to improve the product. But the, the voice of the customer needs to be heard um, or brought to the table uh, to the process owners and product owners. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that that segment or building up that segment was, um, was not necessarily the easiest task in the beginning, uh, but then people started seeing value in it. And, and I know that there's even now today, there's, there's teams that, I mean, the interaction between teams is really, really good. And mm. that's what, what makes it really, really strong. And it would even mean that you would have someone from the support team um, interact then with, with a market owner, for instance, I don't know, a country, country team in, in Lithuania or South Africa or, or, or Estonia. Mm. And, um, and those teams listen and they want to interact and they want to cooperate. And, and I think that's, that is something that I really like about Bolt as well, uh, or the experience that I had there, um, that those interactions were, were happening and people saw the value. Um, so that also exposed um, my own team to, to new experiences, you know, obviously making sure that people listen, then processing the data, uh, packaging it, you know, uh, for it to be ready for consumption. Everyone's mm -hmm. super busy constantly, mm -hmm. and uh, I think that's what what really helps. So it's in the it's I think corporate culture it doesn't sound very good, but uh, there's a common understanding of what we are doing in this company, and every everyone's kind of in the same boat. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's the same company, <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and that's what I, I told over and over to my own team as well. That you know. Um, we're all in the same boat. Tensions mm -hmm. happen, right? That's normal. But uh, then, in the end of the day, if you understand that you're fighting for the same cause, then um, just to make it easier for people to move around um, cities or, or move things around cities, um, fighting for the same goal, and, and that I think helps. Wow! So now we're at the point of where you built the team to, as you said, like 700 people. Bolt has markets all across Europe and Africa. So how, how many countries was the team servicing then? I don't know, 35, 40. 35, 40. <laughs> depends, on, depends on when, because things change uh, constantly. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, a, a lot. <laughs> yeah. So it's... I just wanted to get it out there for the scale. <laughs> that how how complicated this business is. Uh, it's ridiculously complicated. Yeah. Uh, it's not only the, the languages that are different, but the, 
the product offerings are also different from market mm -hmm. to market because of regulations. Mm -hmm. Different markets are regulated differently and um, processes are different. And then sometimes the country teams decide to approach things differently. And, and um, yeah, you would have to document all of that. So just to maybe, maybe also, again, once more answer your, your previous question, then just aside from building those relationships um, mm -hmm. and having the actual operational team in, in uh, support mm -hmm. organization. Um, I also had a, a product team. Uh, so customer support product team that mm -hmm. was built inside uh, the customer support organization, at least for a while. Mm -hmm. Eventually it moved to the, uh, the overall um, product team. But, uh, but first we started off as a, as a CS product team. Mm -hmm. And then we also had the uh, support uh, content and training team. Mm -hmm. So, so those were like my my main three uh, bigger pillars. Uh, you would have the CS operations, you would have CS products, and you would have CS training and uh, and content. Mm -hmm. uh, exceptionally hardworking people, and and they they each had a role to play. So the product team was looking after tools and the overall like end to end experience of of how does a customer even get support, mm -hmm. uh, and how do we collect information? Do we have accurate information? Mm -hmm. uh, what happens if we give support? What happens to those people in the, in the future? Do they continue using our services uh, or do they rather not? If we support them differently, do, do then customers use us more? Mm -hmm. Do they use us less? Mm -hmm. uh, those questions. And then you would have the content and training team that would focus on, on the self-help uh, articles for customers, uh, the documented knowledge that you know, one would use in-house. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and also you know what happens to people who walk in from the door and they want to you know work in the company and do support for users how mm -hmm. do they get trained where do we get those training materials mm -hmm. how long is the training course is it given in one go is it is it uh, you know sliced up in pieces so they would get knowledge go try it out and then get more knowledge and try more mm -hmm. how, how does this work you know you need to pilot these things you need to do it in 22 different languages you need to do it in many different markets mm -hmm. so um yeah there's more to it we're just scratching the surface i promise yeah yeah but um i understand that that's as you said like in so many different countries and languages that's why it sometimes seems that i have a feeling that having your company only service people in the us sounds easier because you, you kind of have of course, different states and different cultures, but at least the language is same in that sense that in Europe, you have so many different countries, languages, culture. So you need to set up your shop like 35 times in, instead of yeah. kind of... You know, there's, there's cities, um, large cities um, that have different um, <clears throat> parts of the city Mm -hmm. that have different like uh, i don't know local uh, local authority mm -hmm. uh, and also uh, which means that sometimes the regulations differ from uh, part of the city to a part of the city when mm -hmm. it comes to transportation sometimes different parts of the city can be treated as different countries in a sense mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. the processes are different mm -hmm. so uh see where i'm going with this it's uh, yeah. it's, it's difficult and it's not only right healing we were doing support for Mm -hmm. And then there's like, I think today there's like what five products. I wasn't working on all of them because I, um, I, uh, I, I, I left uh, the active part of support um, 
and and then some more products were launched. But technically, yeah, you've got food delivery, you've got uh, scooters or micro mobility, mm-hmm. um, then ride hailing uh, in itself, um, and then uh, then some more like park stores and 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 uh, and vehicle rentals or and etc. So yeah. so now there's uh, not only just different locations, but also different products. Yeah, it's the reason they they call Bolt the super app. I'm really looking forward to getting my Bolt bank account that I, that I can get my mortgage from <laughs> from Bolt. So it's probably going to happen. I at least hope so. That'd be crazy. <laughs> yeah, but um, growing the team and as you said, so many of your team leads and managers and even senior people, you were able to develop inside the company as you mentioned they start as an agent mm-hmm. and then through the the process of of, of the I, it sounds a little bit of like magic but but the process of teaching and and giving feedback then you were able to give really fast growth to the people in that sense that of course in startup world like six months of experience, a very intense experience might equal to like one year of experience in a less intense company in that sense. But but maybe you can give a little bit of insight of what's your philosophy and methodology in training people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not rocket science really at all. It's actually pretty pretty simple, and it became of uh, or it came to being from from a practical need. Um, you know, because we were growing rapidly and, and a lot of people were moving into uh, leadership roles, sometimes first time ever in their life. And they had to, besides leading people, they had to also, um, you know, cater to the needs of these uh, other teams outside of CS. And, uh, and obviously, you know, mistakes happen. Even mine, I made mistakes. So I was just trying to, or we we're trying to figure out how, how can we make it so that people would, would, understand the roles better and they would be better prepared uh, and then set up for success. Uh, and they would understand what does success look like? Because I think that was the main main kind of question. Like, okay, so I now have this new role. How do I know if I'm doing well? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then th- that's when we, we kind of like, you know, took those uh, um, kind of the, the job description that any, any role in any company would typically have uh, you would typically have maybe maybe eight to ten ten things on the list, and um, we started writing those out. Uh, like so, what? Like first of all, the question is: Is it complete? Is is the list full? Uh, so we kind of like try to compile a, a full list of things that one would have to do to be successful in in that specific role. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know maybe some were grouped together and etc. lumped together, but in total. What you would have per role is is about maybe twenty five to to forty uh, different things uh, that you would have to do in order to be successful mm-hmm. in a role. Like you would just need to make sure that these things are taken care of, these activities, uh, and and then you know that you know it's it's going well. Um, but of course, those things wouldn't be binary because sometimes people wouldn't be doing them at all. Those things sometimes they would be okay in it but not perfect and then uh, then there's different levels of con- confidence uh, i would say so what we did is we we, we created those job profiles <clears throat> mapped out uh, every role uh, in quite a level of detail um, 
and and then you know when once a person would enter a role they would you know, be walked through that uh, that list of things, uh, expectations. Um, each of those expectations um, or activities would have, they, they would be put into groups. Let's say there's, uh, I don't know, seven or eight groups, and then those groups would have those sub-activities. So a total of maybe, uh, maybe 30 to 40, 25 to 40 different uh, items that one would have to take care of at any given time. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, good, right? Yep. Yep. But it's just a list of things that you would need to do to make sure that you just need to make sure that these are done, and then you know, um, most likely you're successful. Mm-hmm. And um, and then once um, three months pass for a person in a role, they would do a self assessment, and they would go through that list of things, and, mm-hmm. and they would then you know put next to it um, their confidence level of them actually having been doing those things mm-hmm. whether it's low it's um it's medium or it's high mm-hmm. or um i think we used frequency so um never or if you've never done anything or something that was on the list you just put never mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, then low confidence medium confidence and high high confidence so we would mm-hmm. have four options mm-hmm. Once you go through that list, uh, then, then that person would share um, that list with their leader. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, have to, I have to pause here and just say that it has absolutely nothing to do, first of all, it has nothing to do with, uh, with the compensation review. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's completely separate uh, kind of system um, from anything like that. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, this specific system was only used in custom support. Mm-hmm. Other teams and organizations have maybe similar systems or something different, mm-hmm. um, but in support, we use that. Okay, I'll continue now. So once mm-hmm. that, uh, that self-assessment would be shared with the leader, uh, that leader would you know, obviously review it, uh, look it through, and then uh, you know, book some time with the, uh, with the actual team member and go through the list uh, together, mm-hmm. you know, item by item. At times, it would take uh, two hours. Uh, it may take in several sessions a total of eight hours. Mm. I think that's the maximum that I've seen. But once a quarter, investing that time into having that conversation item by item, mm-hmm. leaving no stone unturned, mm-hmm. um, then help people uh, move in the roles a lot better. And then what you would then do is have that conversation and then agree on the truth. Because sometimes self-assessments are wrong. You're mm-hmm. just like way too critical about yourself actually mm-hmm. doing a lot better. Mm-hmm. Or in some cases, it would be that people were thinking that they're doing really, really well, whereas actually those things were not really delivered. Mm-hmm. You would have to bring real-life examples from the last uh, three months um, of how things are done, etc. And But the, the, the point here is that there was no score in the end. Mm-hmm. That's not the point. Mm-hmm. So the things that were slightly lacking or, or you know needed some more attention uh, obviously, those items were of different uh, kind of weight as well. Some were more important, some were less important. Um, then that person, after that conversation with their leader, would just compile an action plan for themselves. Like, okay, how am I going to, you know, going to be improving those items that we've just gone through? Mm-hmm. Then they would build an action plan or, or, or like a, like an idea of how how am I going to get better in those things, and how am I going to actually going to continue doing those things that I'm already excelling in. Uh, and then the next conversation would be in uh, three or six months. So three mm-hmm. to six months, somewhere in between that. 
and during that time uh because people had you know some really really good feedback about the first three months in that mm -hmm. role uh they would then have time to really like build the action plan and, and then work against that um during those uh or in between those sessions where they make a, another self-assessment in three to six months uh you know they would have monthly check-ins with the leaders um casually have a chat how things are going about these specific items that were lacking last time mm -hmm. and then next time someone would make a, a self-assessment typically there's a lot more self-confidence um, and because there was no um, penalizing attached to that process people were really open it's like okay well this is not about like my salary review or this is not about punishing me or finding something to pin on me you know this is about me being honest about my own performance to myself mm -hmm. and i have this person who is my leader next to me who is guiding me through some things that maybe i don't know how to do and teaching mm -hmm. me new things mm -hmm. it was all about the focus was on people's growth rather than uh, than like slapping their fingers uh, for, for something or, 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 you know, like, hey, you shouldn't do that again. Mm -hmm. uh, sure, everyone mis makes mistakes. But th th the point was that people need to understand how does success look like? Mm -hmm. And then they would have this mechanism or framework to help them uh, guide themselves through like those expectations and get better. Uh, during this whole time, I saw absolutely no one who had everything perfect. Mm -hmm. including myself so uh so it's it's impossible mm -hmm. once a person was getting closer to getting everything into super green and, and super strong mm -hmm. they were typically already promoted to another role or they moved uh, either inside the, the cs organization or outside cs organization but that's exactly how if i think about the old world or, or the corporate world then then like director level skills um to someone who started as an agent just a couple of years earlier Mm -hmm. uh, we really boosted their like, growth um, and, and, and helped them grow really, really, really fast. And today, um, very large organizations are led by those same people who have been doing or been in, in the habits of, of auditing uh, their own skills and, and the, the work that they've done, etc. And mm -hmm. it's, of course, sometimes happening also that you would excel one one like this period in something and then you would maybe slightly take the tension off the next time from mm -hmm. that and that's that's okay uh, things happen but then what what really matters is is being honest to yourself mm -hmm. about those things and your own failures and being honest uh, about those failures to your leader mm -hmm. because then you can ask advice uh, from mm -hmm. if needed or your peers or why not from your own team? Mm -hmm. uh, because I was most of that time, I, I, I got most of my feedback uh, from my own team. And it was sometimes very honest and brutal mm -hmm. because I, I screwed up and mm -hmm. it's okay. It's okay. It's, I think that very much explains how you were able to advance these people mm -hmm. in inside the company as well. Because at times you would think that you know, I just want to come and do that support work really well. And maybe I, at the moment, I don't feel like I have ambition to start climbing the corporate ladder, but it feels like when you go through the process of feedback and you know really well, what does success look like? And as you said, usually the people 
at the second feedback round, they already were confident because they had been receiving feedback and they were improving. So you feel confident about your job in that sense. Yeah. And, then, then, and then you have maybe desire to keep growing and then move up a level. It's funny thing. Um, it was confidence about the, the role and the job, but mm-hmm. also just overall self-confidence mm-hmm. uh, boosted for a lot of people because they... I, I know people who, who maybe started off with uh, being very modest and very like, you know, rather quiet uh, introverts. And, and then in the end, being uh, very good at what they do and, and excellent leaders and very strong leaders and, and very confident. So uh, not overly, but uh, it's just the right level. Um, so yeah, that definitely helped. But I, I, need, I need to mention something. So, so most of those kind of like... Uh, uh, groupings that I, I just explained uh, that you would have those activities and those would be grouped into maybe seven, eight uh, different things. Uh, those were always attached to KPIs as well. Mm-hmm. So so just to make sure that by doing these things, you deliver something that results in a positive influence to a, a KPI or key performance indicator. Um, because the numbers were always also part of the business, but not as part of that conversation specifically mm-hmm. that conversation specifically focuses on people's growth and etc uh, positive change to a, a kpi or a number is simply a proof of concept and, and proof that that those activities that we're doing helped and mm-hmm. they had good impact on the business because ultimately it's a business that we need to run mm-hmm. um, and and yeah so so that's also very important to to mention it's just not like activities and discussions that help the business, but you also need data and proof that all of this is working. And sometimes when we realize that those activities are not the right to do, we just change them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Sure that there's business impact, you know, yeah. data is everything. Yeah. And, and I think what keeps us back a lot of times nowadays is because there's the feedback loops that we live in are not that good so you can imagine 100 years ago i needed to chop a big pile of wood yeah chop it i see it's boom it's done i get feedback you know or or the loops are so much uh shorter but in in a lot of cases for example you know living healthy it's like you don't see the result of eating healthy one day the the loop is so much longer in that sense that, uh, that it's hard to be, even in everyday life, very conscious about these things. But yeah, I'm now, after this call, I'm probably going to list different roles I have in life and what are the things I need to do to have a better self-assessment there. Yeah, don't go crazy with it, uh, but uh, definitely encourage you to put it down, put it in written, because that, sure, you know it all in your head, mm-hmm. but do you really? Once you put it in written, uh, then it's, it's a lot better. Like this, writing down your 99 problems, it's a habit that I had in when I was when I was still working. And I, uh, I would list all my problems and then really like try to prioritize them. And it helps. Writing down your problems, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Fred, I, I, I learned a lot. And I'm sure people listening will learn a lot. So currently, you are... Not actively working, you are taking some time off 
from yeah i i realized about two years ago that i, I would like to move away from cs uh just to do something different because mm -hmm. years were piling up and i was like okay maybe i want to do something different uh, and i was confident that i want to go to the business side mm -hmm. and i i had agreements with my leader as well uh around that i was looking for someone who would, would take over the team from me at bolt mm -hmm. um after very long, there are many attempts of convincing, I managed to get my old uh, leader from Microsoft, Nick Smith, that I mentioned a couple of times during this call, mm -hmm. one, one at a time gave me some opportunities, um, convinced him to join, and then he joined as a global director. And, uh, and then this year, May, we were ready to, to make that uh, transfer. So uh, May 2021, I, I gave my team over to him. Uh, in its entirety, and I took six months off mm -hmm. to uh, just go on a sabbatical and, and really uh, relax a bit, mm -hmm. and then return uh, into a different part of Vault and into a different role, mm -hmm. uh, which wasn't predetermined. But yeah, this is something that the CEO really uh, allowed me to do, and and he he was uh, he was happy for me, and he knew that it would happen at some point because I, I had told him that a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was three months into being off. Mm -hmm. and, and then I, um, I had a check-in with my leader and, and I, I then handed in my leading uh, application. Mm -hmm. that I'm not ready to come back. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I want to I take some rest, maybe a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So I'm currently focusing on, on my hobbies and, and maybe even, even considering going studying something related. So uh, I've now jumped into the world of restoring uh, old cars, which I've, I've never done before. And I'm just getting ready to it. I already have the cars and, and, and getting, getting to be ready, uh, but uh, still a work in progress. That's very exciting. So, but I think that that still describes you uh, and your 15 years of experience as a professional problem solver. Yeah, actually, yes. I think I've never thought about it like that. Yes, that yes. is absolutely exactly. what it is. Bought my first car, uh, drove 20, 20 uh, kilometers with it. And then uh, it died and I was like, shit, <laughs> all alone in the middle of dark woods and thinking, yeah, was that really the right choice? But no, no, I was still excited. So. Mm -hmm. Okay, Fred, as we wrap this up, can people follow you on some social media or, or add you on LinkedIn or if, if they want yeah. to keep themselves up to date? Adding me on LinkedIn is, uh, is a totally good idea. Uh, do that. And then I'll be posting some updates as I, as I move along. I have a couple of, uh, couple of more exciting like projects lined up. Uh, mm -hmm. Too early to talk about those specifically. Mm -hmm. But uh, of course... Um, Add me in LinkedIn and, and uh, we can talk if, if you want. Thank you, Fred. It was very exciting. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me.